0: want to assure all families and all Canadians, we will not rest until there are answers. We will not rest until there is justice and accountability.
1: i with you on what is going to be a very busy Thursday, August 18th. So it's great to have you here along for the ride. But I want to start on a crime that two and a half years later still had delivered any justice for the families of 176 people murdered by the Iranian regime, which, of course, bombed flight PS752 out of the sky. And why does this matter? Well, now uh, 55 Canadians and another 30 permanent residents of this country were on that plane. And a lot of those families live here in the GTA. And in the days that followed that mass murder, they were promised by Justin Trudeau in that very breathy comment you just heard that he'd get them justice. You heard him say that, and it is not happening. And one of those people is a man named Shaheen Magadam. He had lost his wife, Shakiba. He lost his nine-year-old son, Rostin, who had been visiting family in Iran over the Christmas holidays. And Shaheen's been on my show a number of times over the years, but you may remember him because he became one of the main faces of this crime. This is a man Trudeau met with personally. The two were pictured together with the prime minister holding him, crying with him, and he personally promised Shaheen that he'd get justice. Yet, despite all the promises made to him and all the families that they'd never be forgotten, Neither Shaheen or any of the other victims have heard anything since from this government. So they very much feel abandoned and they feel used. So since then, Shaheen has been spending his life trying to get answers himself that neither he or the other families can find because they don't accept the findings of a Canadian investigation led by Ralph Goodale, which found no evidence that the missile attack was premeditated. Well, maybe that's because we had to rely and others to do an investigation that we had no role in. And by the time, you know, international investigations took place, the Iranian government had uh, scrubbed and cleaned up the crime scene. Now Shaheen reveals that he gave the RCMP sensitive information that contradicts the Trudeau government's position. Shaheen reveals he recorded a call, that he got in late 2020 from a senior member of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. And during that call, he claims he was told that Iran had intentionally targeted the plane, that having all Iranians on board would create an illusion that would confuse investigators, and that the Ayatollah Khomeini himself made the decision to blow up the plane in retaliation to the United States, which, of course, had just killed General Hassem Soleimani. In the call, Shaheen says he got names of all these high-ranking military members at the meeting, he got dates, and he got a lot of detailed information on what actually happened when the missiles were being fired. He then took that evidence to as many as 6 to 10 RCMP officers that he met two different times at two different Toronto hotels where they took a USB stick from him and transcripts of that conversation. Then they asked him to sign an agreement to send the information to the Ukrainian government, which was, of course, leading the investigation. But Shaheen refused the request because he just simply didn't trust that Ukraine was going to get answers. And so the RCMP took the evidence, and that's the last Shaheen heard. So why did this source talk to Shaheen? Well, apparently, some in the Iranian military felt betrayed because they believe Russia had helped with the attack, but they were also angered that their own government had murdered its own people. And... We're going to get away with it. So again, why does this all matter? Well, because the Truro government promised justice for these families, and two and a half years later, all we have is a report saying, well, they couldn't find evidence of intention. And we have a government that's content to accept that information while now relying on a country at war to get these answers and we have grieving families across the GTA including Shaheen who have reported of being threatened and harassed numerous times by members of the Iranian regime which is trying to silence them but the question i have and i have many if the RCMP was handed evidence of possible premeditation that con- you know contradicts the spin we got from iran or previous reports why would commissioner brenda lucky tell these grieving families just, th- just this past July that it will not be doing its own independent domestic criminal investigation? Like, why are we just taking the word of a report based on outside information? If justice is, is to be served in this particular crime, it's going to require will. And two and a half years in, there seems to be very little will to actually hold Iran to account. And with Lucky at the helm, it's safe to say I think there is going to be little will which will ultimately sit fine for a prime minister who appointed her and who for whatever reason cannot and will not take a hard line against a terror regime that this government seems to want to normalize relations with. Now we asked the RCMP to comment on this on Thursday. And of course what we get back is that they, well they couldn't They couldn't give us comment by the deadline of this show, but the good news is, folks, they're going to work on something for a little later today. So I can look forward, I guess, to a comment that says absolutely nothing. So up next, we're going to talk to Shaheen, who will be joined by his lawyer, about why he would go to such drastic measures meeting with the source and coming into possession of this information. And we'll talk to the lawyer who tells me that a formal complaint has now been filed by four families of the victims of that flight. And this is a complaint against Brenda Lucky, the commissioner, which is now being investigated by two governing bodies of the RCMP. And they're now looking into whether or not the commissioner committed a dereliction of duty and failing to look into this new information and if interference possibly played a role into yet another mass murder of Canadian citizens. So we'll get more information about this because that, of course, is new information that we have not uh, seen reported yet. And um, I'll have the lawyer flesh out what all this means. And we'll try to get you some answers on how all this came to be. Up next, we talk to Shaheen and his lawyer. Stay with us. I'm Alex Pearson. You are listening to The Alex Pearson Show here on 640
0: Toronto. I want to assure... All families and all Canadians, we will not rest until there are answers. We will not rest until there is
1: justice
0: and accountability.
1: Boy, he must be tired. Not resting till he gets justice. But boy, that was a breathy, breathy performance that day. Because we have not seen any justice in this case. And the question is... Did the Trudeau government and the RCMP ignore information that points the finger of blame directly at the Iranian regime? Because remember, we have been told so far that, yes, Iran is responsible for the downing of flight PS752, that their actions were reckless and incompetent. It was not intentional. Yet my next guest, whose wife and son were murdered on that flight, did not buy that, nor did the other families. So he did his own investigation and ended up giving the RCMP evidence from an Iranian source saying it was very much intentional. Yet, in May, Brenda Lucky would tell Shaheen and the other families, and in July she would reiterate it, that they will not be doing any domestic investigation of its own. I want to bring into this conversation Shaheen Mogadam. He is a... (sighs) His wife, Shakiba, their nine-year-old son, Rostin, was killed that night. But also a lawyer that is helping try to, um, you know, help the families and get justice here is Ram Jubin, who is a Burnaby Central Law uh, lawyer. Good to have you both.
0: Good morning, and a pleasure to be here.
1: Let me start with with you, uh, Shaheen, um, I know that right now you're you're in Ottawa, and as you so often do, you and the other victims and families, you are still fighting for justice. So you're doing uh, this walk, um, trying to raise awareness and, and fighting for justice. So that's what you, your life is about finding justice. But take me back. What prompted you to to talk to this source, and and why did it seem credible to you? And why did they come to you?
2: Uh, good morning, Alex. I'm so uh, sorry for the interruption because I'm. Uh... Middle, in the middle of the march to Ottawa from Toronto. Uh, but uh, after two years and eight months, uh, we received uh, lots of promises from um, the Justin Trudeau and uh, his ministers and all the, the, the government. But unfortunately, till now, we didn't re- see any uh, concrete action, uh, nothing against Iran. Uh, and in many major cases and many many uh, aspects and many places they act actually as Iranian regime uh, defender and um, in case of a stay inside the family they all care about more more care about the Iranian uh, murderer that's why we decided to start this marching uh, because uh, of the promises and uh, lacks of lack of actions,
1: right? And you have gotten some action. So take me to the to the meeting with the source. This was not something that happened overnight. I mean, someone from the Iranian regime you claim came to you, gives you a lot of detailed information in Farsi, which you had to then translate. Um, why did they come to you? And when you met with the RCMP twice, did you believe that they took the evidence you brought them seriously?
2: Uh yes and actually I received m- many contacts from from many people uh, from Iran but this one uh got me so interested uh I talked to the guy uh, a couple of times and finally he convinced uh, he convinced to uh you know testify testify uh the all what he said I gave the file to RCMP and I I met RCMP. I, I think it's about five times. I had interview with them, uh, and they wanted to uh, deliver the file to Ukrainian side. Which I uh, told them I don't want to share my information to to Ukrainian because I'm Canadian and it, it's your duty to protect me and investigate about. My case and others, 176 passengers, which you had to do by law, but uh, they took the files, and I'm I'm sure they received many from the other families, and uh, no one knows what they do with the files and the evidences and all the information they they took from the families because they had uh, a conversation and interview by one by one who are in can- in in Canada. Uh, some like me, four or five times, some less, some more, but whenever we asked what happened to the for for the information which you took, they said it 's classified, and once I told you it is not classified, this is I had the right to know what did you do with my information, and you have to tell me but
0: right.
2: in, in always in any times they refuse to answer. And they refuse to give us any clue, and no one of us knows what is going on and what they are doing. And officially, the, the, the lucky said, uh, we are not going to start any criminal investigation, which the Rom is going to explain about that, because it's, mm-hmm. in our opinion, it's against the law.
1: So let me bring you into this com- uh, conversation, Ram Jobin. Um, there is no legal reason not to investigate this. Um, it-, it takes will, yet it has been determined through other reports done by international bodies that this was not intentional. Yet, if we have evidence that contradicts this, um, you know, how do we know if we're not actually doing an independent investigation,
0: That's exactly it, Alex. So, we wanted an investigation by the RCMP. The threshold uh, to open an investigation is relatively low. We're not talking about pressing charges. Uh, We're not talking about taking Iran to court even at this stage. We're only saying that uh, the evidence that does exist, and there are at least 16, 17 pieces of evidence um, that uh, does warrant that we engage in a criminal investigation. Um, Forensic analyses um, uh, after the Canadian government did its own uh, forensic analysis, which seems to have been politically motivated, sort of shove it all under the rug. Um, After that, there are some more in-depth forensic analyses done and um, published uh, that are um, much more in-depth and uh, indicate 16 clear reasons why this was intentional. And this is done by experts in that field um, that know about um, whether someone can really mistake a missile for a plane, which is one of the claims that Iran is making, that, oh, we thought that was a missile from the United States. It's not a plane. We didn't think it was a passenger plane. But yet we left the airspace open as well. And there's so many pieces of evidence that are very suspicious. And, you know, the bare minimum is just to ask for the Canadian government to make it, for the RCMP, which is supposed to be impartial, to make an investigation rather than the liberal government that has its own political interests, and they may um, submit an uh, an investigation that is politically motivated. So we're looking at the RCMP for impartiality, neutrality, and they didn't give it to um, the families. They uh, hardly even dignified them with their response because uh, legally they have to give a good reason for not opening Mm. criminal investigation. But the reason they gave is go to Ukraine, and then Mm. then the Ukraine war starts and there's nowhere to go. But even even Ukraine is saying, no, you don't have to come to us You have just as much evidence as we do. In fact, Canada doesn't have a conflict of interest compared to Ukraine. Ukraine has to defend its own airline. It would be much more credible for Canada um, to engage in in this investigation rather than Ukraine, who has to defend its own um, airline and say, "Yeah, "Yeah, of course, um, Iranian government did that uh, intentionally as an act of terrorism." Which is their investigation result was that this it was an act of terrorism um, and it was intentional. Uh, But so Canada uh, really now, given that Ukraine is not even in the position to to pursue this seriously, um, Canada is being looked at as the only jurisdiction left to actually uh, do something about this.
1: Now, a formal uh, complaint has been filed by four families against Commissioner Brenda Lucky. Um This has not been um, talked about in the news, and I'm a little surprised by it, but I've looked at paperwork that you have sent me uh, showing that two governing bodies of the RCMP are now investigating the RCMP's conduct as to whether or not Lucky committed a dereliction of duty and failing to look into this new information, or if interference played a role. Why are we just hearing about this now?
0: Well, um, the, uh, you know, um, th- this letter, this rejection letter or refusal to open an uh, investigation uh, was uh, a little bit over one year ago. Uh, and it coincided about one year ago with the, uh, the Canadian government also come to the families and saying we're not in support of a, a criminal investigation. And there's no legal reason given. There's no legal reason except, as you said, sort of the will but there's no real legal reason stopping us from opening a criminal investigation, um, and the only reason why we're we're hearing it right now on your radio show uh, is uh, potentially because uh, the no one wants to the liberal government or some media may not want this story to break as uh, it does have allegations of um, uh, partiality of um, bias uh, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, And collusion, potentially collusion, because there are even signs the RCMP did take advice from the Liberal government to refuse to open this criminal investigation. We don't have sort of ironclad proof, but we do have some circumstantial signs, uh, even in their own letter, saying that, look, we, we talk to other people. We're not going to tell you who those people are. And they told us not to open a criminal investigation. That's what their letter essentially yeah. says. Um, so, but, you know, there are clues there that there is a, a impetus to push this under the rug.
1: I don't have a lot of time, Shaheen, but I know that you and other families um, have been harassed and bullied by the Iranian government or the Iranian regime. Do you believe, I mean, you stood with the prime minister. He was, he had you in his arms as you cried together. He made you a promise. Do you and the other families um, feel like there's any will to get justice here anymore? Um,
2: Absolutely not, Alex, unfortunately. Yes, uh, I've been with Prime Minister. We cry together. He gave us lots of promises many times. Uh, I receive uh, bullies, harassment, uh, and uh, uh, many things, and I uh, report them to RCMP, but it, it seems that uh, no one cares. We see that Iranians have hands here in, in Canada, but still I don't know how they, because I'm the one who has... Uh, Rule against Iran in on May 2021 on uh, Ontario uh, Superior Court. Uh, so I, I'm the only one after 44 yeah. years of Iranian regime uh, dictatorship. So, but it seems no one care about uh, my life, or uh, I don't know what they are going to do for my protection. Many times which I reported them. Uh, that this thing happened. This I received this call. I received this letter. They telling they told me that just call nine one one, and it's funny <laughs> because yeah <laughs> because it's like, before they I called to nine one one, they are going to do whatever they want. As we see, they they just have many people any any around the world in
1: in any yeah any places in the world. So. Um, Yeah, I I understand. 9 9 is not really the call you do to uh, go (laughs) after the Iranian regime. But you know, what can we say? Look, Shaheen, I know that you're walking and marching for justice on your time, your own dime. You're in uh, Ottawa making your way here. I thank you for joining us again. I'll keep talking about this. And uh, Ram, I very much appreciate you uh, giving us clarification Uh on this as well.
0: Yes, no problem. And you know, it's about all Canadians um, defending all of our rights, our sovereignty as a nation. We have to defend our own rights, um, and it's not—it's—it's it's a wide issue. We're—we're we're not actually uh, respecting our own sovereignty. We're not defending our own laws. So, uh, thank you for that time, Alex.
1: We'll have you again. So, on the other side of the break. We're going to talk to an RCMP, a retired RCMP officer who has been very proactive in trying to get to the bottom of what happened here because he does not feel like there's any serious intention to get to the bottom of it, but has connected with Shaheen, has taken a look at all the transcripts, has read through this transcript and who has, you know, past experience investigating um, the sale of, uh, you know, chemical choppers. It happened way back in the late 90s. Uh, that were being sold to Iraq uh, out of Canada. So we'll talk to him uh, because he says none of this adds up. But I'm curious to know, like, what is the responsibility of the RCMP if you take credible information to them as evidence and what he sees should have happened here at the bare minimum? So we'll do that in just a minute. Stay here with us. We've got lots of show left. I'm Alex Pearson of The Alex Pearson Show, and you are listening to 640 Toronto
0: we wanted an investigation by the RCMP. The threshold uh, to open investigation is relatively low. We're not talking about pressing charges. Uh, we're not talking about taking Iran to court even at this stage. We're only saying that uh, the evidence that does exist, and there are at least 16, 17 pieces of evidence, um, that uh, does warrant that we engage in a criminal investigation.
1: So that is uh, Ram Jobin, who joined me a little bit earlier in the show. He is a lawyer helping some of the families of Flight PS752 because they need and want justice. And um, he is questioning, like they all are, If the RCMP had been handed evidence of possible premeditation, which would contradict Iran's lies and previous reports we have been told, why then would Commissioner Brenda Lucky tell the grieving families earlier this year that the RCMP will not do its own domestic criminal investigation? Like, why um, did she or why is the government satisfied with just taking the word of a report based on information gathered by other countries? and we learn from this lawyer that two governing bodies of the RCMP are now actually investigating the conduct of this uh, police agency as to whether or not you know commissioner lucky had has committed any kind of dereliction of duty in failing to look into this new information or if interference has played a role. Andy Brook is a long-time retired RCMP officer who once upon a time investigated the sale of US helicopters used in chemical attacks to Iraq back when Iraq was blacklisted by the United Nations. Uh, Good to have you, Andy.
3: Thank you so much, Alex.
1: Let me um, take us back a little bit, because you have actually been looking into this. You've assisted Shaheen with the information he obtained. And so take me through the process, because I had Shaheen on earlier, but one of the things that, that doesn't really get reflected in this is that he met with the RCMP on several different you know, times back in 2020, after he had spoken to this source, he says was from a high level of the the Iranian military. He then is told to go to several different locations to meet with the RCMP. It's almost like they take him on a fishing expedition, which it does take you into kind of a surreal part of this. He ends up meeting them at a hotel and passes over this evidence to which then he really never hears back from them. Take us through some of the things. Like, is it normal to be going to so many different locations on so many different uh Dates to, to meet with the RCMP?
3: There's nothing unusual about that. That would be uh, counter surveillance, essentially. What we would be doing, what the RCMP would be doing, uh, would be checking to make sure that uh, Mr. Mogadam Shaheen had not been followed, say, by agents right. of the IRGC or others. But there's also another aspect to it, too. Um, they, not knowing Shaheen, don't want him to also lead people uh, to the officers and a potential security threat for them. So it's sort of two sides to that, but it is normal.
1: Okay. And so he ends up handing over this transcript because the the source came to him, spoken Farsi. He transcribes that all. They, he hands over a USB stick of this information. RCMP says, hey, can you sign a release? Uh, we want to send this off to Ukraine. He actually says no, because he doesn't trust that Ukraine will get to the bottom of this. But then he never hears anything back. Is that normal? No, no not normal.
3: Um, the RCMP are not going to give him a debriefing as to what happened precisely with each line item of whatever they're looking at in the report. Um, but to have, as and I did listen to your segment earlier this morning with Mr. Mogadam and Mr. Juven, um, that is not how I would have conducted myself when I was in the RCMP.
1: In other words you would have followed up uh, with uh, someone like Shaheen to, to either update them as to where the investigation is going or not going?
3: There would uh, be a lot of things, hypothetically, I could say, but absolutely he would not be left out. First of all, he's provided. Now, just for your, for your listeners, um, I know Shaheen. I've known him for approximately a year and a half now. Uh, I know Mr. Jubin. um mm-hmm. I have talked extensively with uh, Mr. Mogadam Shaheen about this information. I have seen the information. I have read it in great detail. And I can tell you it is sensitive. It is very detailed. And um, there have been a great deal of portions that have been held back because they could potentially identify uh, the person who is purportedly believed to be a high-ranking member of the IRGC and Iran.
1: So how then? I mean, I think the question becomes, when evidence is given to the RCMP, what is the obligation to investigate? I mean, obviously, you have to find out, is this a credible witness? Is this a credible source? Or is it just some, you know, person kind of, uh, you know, playing or getting in on on something and trying to be part of the story? What how would they source out whether this person was um, credible? And what's their obligation to investigate this?
3: Oh, perfect. There's two parts to your question, so I'll begin to the first part. Uh, I put myself in, in the shoes of the RCMP officers that day. If I was dealing with Shaheen, I would have received the information. There's a lot of reporting. Certainly this file would be at the national reporting level, so this would have occurred in what we call O Division, Ontario. Uh, within that day, uh, headquarters division would have been notified this information, list, and they would have had a brief on it, and of course the commissioner would be aware of it probably within 24 hours. But the information itself, and I think this is common sense, but I think it needs to be said, it's it's, it's rated. It's given an assessment, and essentially there are three assessments, unknown reliability, believed reliable, or known reliability. In this particular instance, because we don't know, in fact, that it is an IRGC uh, commander that he's in touch with, we would deem it uh, of unknown reliability. But it's very important to say that, that does not mean that the information being provided is of no value it has to be assessed and investigated and it shouldn't be dismissed or rejected out of hand by any investigator who hasn't looked into all its elements and facets uh, so unknown reliability is, is sort of a neutral term it doesn't uh, now your second part of the question about the obligation to open up a criminal investigation what I've used in the past I, I think this may help so if, Picture me as a Mountie on the prairies, northern Saskatchewan. I'm, I'm, I'm on my shift. I've started my shift. I'm taking a breakfast at a diner, and a farmer walks in that I know. And he walks over to me at my table, and he says, "Hi, Andy." He says, "We've had another theft of equipment overnight, and we've got a lucky break in this case." So he tosses this wrinkled, dilapidated license plate, and he goes, "I think this fell off their trailer." And I look at the license plate. I pick it up. I look at the farmer. He's lost a couple hundred thousand dollars in farm machinery, and I go. I'm not investigating that. What do you think would happen to me? What happened in this case was the RCMP commissioner said she would not investigate the murder of 55 Canadian citizens that happened outside Canada in the skies over Iran, but for which the laws of Canada do allow a prosecution, even though it happened outside. I'll leave that to the side if you want to pursue it further. And... When when I've been speaking to uh, the group that we are working with the families, I said the first thing I can think of the government of trying to say is, oh, she's exercising police discretion. Every officer can exercise discretion. They give you a ticket. They don't give you a ticket. But there's a Supreme Court case uh, called um, R.V. Beaudry. It's from 2007. And essentially what it says is it, it says that police discretion is a central cornerstone of our judicial system. Wouldn't function properly without it. But there are limits on the use of that discretion. And I would I think it's reasonable to say that the murder mass murder of 55 Canadian citizens does not give discretion to the commissioner to say she will not investigate.
1: Well, I mean if this is true, that would mean that two mass murders on Canadian citizens in this country has not really uh, been handled properly by the RCMP, but you know, uh, to your point about not investigating this domestically, I mean, Commissioner Lucky h- had gone to the families once in May and then another time in July of this year and, and told them, we're not going to do this investigation. Um, and so, again, we don't have any independent Canadian uh, body now looking into it. We're relying solely on the in, you know, investigation of the international community. But how would a domestic investigation on this side uh, actually uh, find out anything? Could it?
3: Yes, absolutely. We're finding out stuff. Just our our group, our coalition is finding out information. We're gathering evidence. Evidence is coming to us. Absolutely. And we don't have any superpowers. We're not peace officers. Uh, But in terms of uh, what you were saying, um, actually, it was in May that I understood. And this was early when I was uh, just meeting Shaheen. And he was describing to me meetings that were occurring. And what I was what I was understanding was that the families were being told there'd be no criminal investigation. And I was shocked. This was May of 2021. And I I thought, well, maybe maybe they're not understanding it. Maybe I'm not understanding him. Well, the gift fell in our laps. I use that term tongue in cheek uh, with sarcasm because on July 7th, 2021, a three-page letter was written by the commissioner to the families that explicitly said that there would be no Canadian criminal investigation. That document gave us the basis to launch the formal complaints against the commissioner for her code of, con- code of conduct complaints.
1: Yeah, and this is not public information. I mean, it's, it's basically coming into the mainstream because I'm talking about it. And, of course, I contacted Ram Jubin, who sent me the paperwork on these particular yeah. complaints. How serious are these um, complaints? And, and they're actively now being investigated. But what is at yes, stake here?
3: Well, they're very serious. First of all, RCMP code of conduct investigations, you know, can result in your dismissal. And certainly the seriousness, in my view, would certainly include that. Again, we're talking about the murder of 55 Canadian citizens. Um, I also have to, I mentioned the letter. It's important to state I won't be able to go into it, obviously, in this context, but there's one paragraph in that letter. It appears on the second page. It's the first paragraph. And the wording of that letter clearly reads to me as an investigator that she, Although she may have signed this decision, this was not her decision. And I'll just have to leave it like that for the purposes of this program. Um, mm-hmm. As for what's at stake here, I've I covered that. But it's essentially, I, I use the term dereliction of duty. That's not a term that we would use in the RCMP, but people understand that. She's not doing her duty. She, like any other RCMP officer, takes three oaths of office. And in the oath of office, um, she is duty-bound and in, under the RCMP Act. To uphold all the laws of Canada, from Section 18 of the RCMP Act. And, you know, Section 37, I could go on. There's a lot of things here that could to respect the rights of all persons that would come into play, to maintain the integrity of the law and law enforcement and the administration of justice. There's huge questions around what she's doing and around that. And to perform the member's duties promptly, promptly, impartially, and, and diligently in accordance with the law, and without abusing the member's authority. I mean, there's three bases there alone for her. Uh, you know, her internal investigation. Yeah. But for your viewers, it's important for them to know that, um, you know, of course, I have a lot of colleagues. And what, when we were doing our groundwork before uh, sur- submitting this complaint, um, I was carefully cautioned not to submit it to the RCMP, that it would get buried. So what we did do, and I don't know if your previous guest mentioned that, but we submitted it through the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission. What happened then? because it has national security implications, was promptly transferred about two weeks or so to the National Security and Intelligence Review Agency. And there's something here I think is very important for your viewers to pick up on. Had our complaint been without merit, had it been frivolous, had there been no basis in it, they would have kicked that back to us before it ever got referred to the NSIRA. And there it sits.
1: Well, uh, we have, um, you know, emails into the RCMP, and, of course, we get the no comment comment, but oh, yeah. uh, we'll continue to follow me? it, yeah.
3: You want me to tell you what you're going to get? In
1: about 30 seconds, yeah, I'm late for break, but oh, go I ahead,
3: Less than that. They are going to point to you to the awardski report, and they're going to say nothing else, and they are going to say something along the lines of, we have no further comment whatsoever, and you yeah. can uh, call me on that.
1: There you go. Parse it out. Well nonetheless, we'll continue talking about this. Andy, very much appreciate you giving us a behind the scenes look into this and what we should be looking for. On behalf
3: of the families, thank you so much
1: for covering this. I will continue to cover it. It is our duty to get accountability here. Andy, thanks so much. God bless. Thank you. Andy Brook is a retired RCMP officer very familiar with this uh, case. Uh, Look, these families are being harassed on an ongoing basis by the Iranian regime who simply wants them to shut up and go away. Why does it matter? Because they're our neighbors and they're our friends. All right, it has been a very, very busy day, a lot of breaking news. You have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Alex Pearson, the team Heather Purden, Corey Manuel. See you tomorrow on The Alex Pearson Show.